This is Rob Owens. I'm a meditation mindfulness positive psychology practitioner based in Belleville, Ontario. And this is my second in a series of podcasts about the ego versus the authentic self. In the first podcast, we learned that the ego is very powerful and it's a construct. It's something we make as we're as we are children and as we grow up and see other people acting around us. And as we attempt to be one of the group, we put together an ego that is much the same, or should we say we get cues from other people around us as to how to behave in society. And we begin to build our ego with those cues or suggestions. And we put them into a belief as to what I think I am or who I think I am. That's maybe one way to discover or to understand what the ego inside you is. Now, I don't think there's anybody in the world that was more egotistical than me as I was growing into a young adult. When I got married, the best man making a speech about me uh, before he launched into some very observational things about my character... He said, Rob's new wife does not need to buy a set of encyclopedia or a dictionary because now she's married to Rob. I thought I knew everything, of course, as most of us do when we're that age in our 20s. But as I grew, this idea of the authentic self kept circling back to me over and over and over again. As I became successful in the world and and in our married life, we moved from an apartment to a house and then put in a very nice ornamental garden and worked hard improving the building and buying a new car and getting a promotion at work and so on. And I think I, for one, felt always this small kernel of emptiness inside. And I had started at 17 to read about metaphysical things and about Buddhism and Jainism and Hinduism and Taoism and all these kind of... uh, great religions of the world. And still, by using these religious practices and suggestions, I still wasn't able to get close to what I thought was a higher power or my authentic self. As time went on, I became more and more disillusioned as I worked my way up the corporate empire. I encountered people that were willing to lie at the drop of a hat simply to serve their own career, make themselves more popular. I, as my Income increased, I became liable to using very expensive drugs and alcohol, uh, trying to fit in with my peers and knowing that these people were basically dishonest, underhanded and thieving, but uh, loathing that in myself as I was doing these acts because I had to, I thought, because I was competing with them. So those who deliberately set themselves apart as if they are immune to the ego or the authentic self, also hide their cocaine, heroin, and alcohol abuse amongst themselves. It's an open secret that uh, whose suffering and conflict are portrayed in television and movies. I think in the modern day, it's become very popular in modern drama on video to either be a firefighter, emergency room nurse, or a doctor. I'm not saying that all these people are possessed by ego, but it certainly is what's portrayed in the shows. To consider this, it moves the question of, number one, who do you think you are? 
And then number two, who do you want to be? To consider this, it moves the question of number one, who do you think you are? And then number two, who do you want to be? I get upset uh, at times when I hear well-meaning educational uh, people and parents and other child and teen caregivers saying, you can be whatever you want to be to their children, to their charges, to, to young adults with no consideration whatever as to the child's health, the family wealth and status, uh, relation to geographical location, not only in the country, but in the community. They don't take into account the lack of or presence of physical beauty in the child. They ignore parental upbringing, be it good or bad. They have no idea of genetic ability or disability. They say you can be whatever you want to be without considering the child's degree of mobility within the country, their access to higher education. You can be whoever you want to be without considering the peer groups. And well, you get the point. And all these things are just as applicable to adults as they are to children. So I think it comes down to making a choice. To make any choice, first we have to have the thought, we have to have an idea, and then we must be inspired to take action. Inspired, let's look at that word for a second. In means within, inspired relates to spirit. So inspiration and inspired go together. And to be in the spirit, I would suggest to you, is more like being in the authentic self than in the ego. Making a decision is simply seeing yourself acting as such in the future. When we are inspired, this is the opposite of fatigue. Inspiration is the flip side of being dispirited or without energy or without spirit. Inspiration then means to be in the spirit. One is either in the spirit or in the ego. And this is a really important distinction. You cannot be in one and the other at the same time. And this is a choice, just as we talked about the locust and the, the honeybee in our first podcast. We have the choice as humans to be either inspired or in the spirit or in the ego wrapped up in self-thought and self-limited thinking. To have this endowment, like we said before, this is a gift, and to not use it to our development as a species is less than wasteful than not recognizing the fundamental freedom of choice that we have as humans. If we have such freedoms of being, where does our inner suffering originate? If we can make up our mind, if we can decide, if we can be inspired to change and give up our way of living that is causing us so much suffering, why don't we do so? Our self-talk or our thinking, we'll put that in quotation marks, our thinking for the most part originates in our ego. And that is the part of us that we are self-constructed as we grew from infancy to adulthood. Ego is the formless but very self-realized part of you that sees 
how you fit in, how you conform, how you behave, and how you relate to others. It is a formless construct that means it doesn't have a body. It's just a cluster or a string or a thread of ideas that produces within you a distorted mental image of how you are in the world. Now, for example, have you ever seen a video and sound recording of yourself that was made without your knowledge? And then when somebody shows it back to you, you say, oh, that's not me. Until you see your face and recognize yourself, you're thinking, well, this is a large, clumsy person that's ineffective and lacking in the beauty that I have. And the ego imposes this through self-talk. It is your ego that tries to persuade you that that can't be me. I don't look like that. But the camera doesn't lie. But ego is very good at quickly covering up reality with more statements like there's something wrong with the camera or the photographer has the wrong angle. Because the ego is part of us that compares and looks for problems, this is what comes up for us. But to make a decision of our own, to act otherwise than what our ego tells us, we must be inspired. It is within our spirit where lies our authentic self. In my youth, I was and still am an avid reader of natural science books and magazines. My Christian parents sometimes took me with them to Sunday worship and at an imposing granite block church not far from our neighborhood. And by the time of my mid-teens, I had acquired enough information to become a critical thinker, a young scientist from all these books and magazines that I had read. And during this, these formative years, being not devout and not wanting the responsibility or perhaps not knowing the relationship of Christian doctrine to modern living, I existed in a kind of spiritual vacuum. There was no parental talk of ego or spirits. Uh, bless my parents, they didn't know of it. But the Ten Commandments of God through the church and from Moses supposedly uh, would be enough and plenty for me to live by. But something was missing in me and I didn't know what because where, after spending hours and even days in church and study, where was that feeling of complete absolution, forgiveness, and joy that had been promised me? I think the main trouble with my formative years was that nearly everyone except me tended to be content with superficialities, uh, happy uh, not to or fearful of looking too deeply into the human condition of human existence. Especially people back then and still now are uh, unquestioning of religion, the Christian doctrine, and my questions of why I didn't feel any different after church than I did before, nobody could answer to a satisfactory level. Where was the feeling of joy and rapture that we all sang about when we were in church? To sum up, I think acceptance of our authentic self, just the acceptance that it's there within us is the first step of the recovery of it. At first, this appears to be a backward approach. Like, uh, how can we obtain something without knowing what it is? Uh, how can I be looking for something if I don't know what I'm looking for? But this is not as absurd as it sounds. As we said earlier, ego, or our sense of who we are in the world, is a self-constructed concept. 
Because it is self-made, we can identify that it did not come as an instinct, like some of the God-given preordained things like reflexes, being startled by loud noises or recoiling from a hot flame. Unfortunately, there is no instruction book on how to build a good ego, but there are some suggestions on how to overcome some parts of ego enough to allow the authentic self to surface. As we said in our first podcast, the authentic self is always with you. It's something that you're born with. And you don't so much as have to find it or know its location. All we have to do is to silence the ego long enough for the authentic self to come through. Thanks for listening. This is the second in a series of podcasts about ego and the authentic self. This is Rob Owens. I am a meditation, mindfulness, positive psychology practitioner in Belleville, Ontario.